great day to be here. And uh, I am excited about today's word. I believe it's a life-changing word today. So thankful for the word that Pastor Calvin brought last weekend. Uh, always does an incredible job. Uh, and uh, uh, we got to stay in the big town of Jewett last weekend. Yeah, that was fun. Played some baseball and uh, it was a good time. Uh, I want to wish my daughter Abigail a happy birthday today. The Astros won the World Series just for her. She is their number one fan and the bench coach of the Houston Astros because she's always talking to Dusty Baker from our living room. <laughs> True story. True story. I, I mean, she, she really, I think she has Dusty's ear because she knows what she's talking about. Uh, and so, uh, happy birthday to her. Let's pray over the word today. Lord, we come. Unless we have ears to hear and want to hear, we won't today. We can come to church and it can be an incredible experience or a complete waste of time. And so, Lord, what we say today is we want to hear from you. We want you to speak to us, no matter how difficult it might be. Speak to us, Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Communication is a funny thing. Because sometimes we hear what we want to hear, and sometimes we tell people what we would like for them to hear. And it reminds me of this story of this elderly lady that she was very prim and proper, and there's some things she just didn't like to talk about or she wasn't comfortable talking about. So she knew her and her husband were going camping, uh, and she wanted to ask the campground uh, if they had the proper restroom facilities, but she didn't know how to say it right. And so she wrote the email out, and she first used the word toilet, and that didn't feel right as she wrote the word toilet down. Even if she wrote it down, it sounded dirty to her. Uh, and so she deleted the word toilet, and then she thought, well, I'll use a more old-fashioned term. She said, I'll use the word bathroom commode. Uh, and still, that sounded not right to her. Someone coming from her, uh, a place of being so prim and prop proper, so she thought that she would just use the initials B.C., and so she ended her email saying, does this campground have its own BC? Well, the campground owner wasn't old fashioned at all. And when he got the email, he couldn't figure out what the woman was talking about. That BC business really stumped him. After worrying about it for a while, he showed the email to several campers, but no one could imagine what the lady meant either. So the campground owner finally coming to a conclusion that the lady must be asking about the location of the local Baptist church. He sat down and wrote the following reply to her. Dear Madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your email, but I now take the pleasure of informing you that a BC is located nine miles north of the campground <laughs> and is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it's quite a distance away if you're in the habit of going regularly, but no doubt you'll be pleased to learn that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a day of it. That you usually arrive early and stay late. If you don't start early, you probably will not make it in time. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. <laughs> and it was so crowded we had to stand up the whole time we were there. It may interest you to know that right now there's a supper plan to raise money to buy more seats. They're going to hold it in the basement of the B.C., I would like to say it pains me very much not being able to go more often, but it surely is no lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to, to be more of a, the effort, particularly in cold weather. 
If you decide to come down to our campground, perhaps I could go with you the first time, sit with you and introduce you to the other folks. Remember, this is a friendly community. Sometimes things don't work out in translation. We live in a modern Christian world where oftentimes we're trying to see the word of God through our lens and our viewpoint and our filters. And sometimes that really doesn't work out. In fact, sometimes we can miss it altogether. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, We're going to talk about that I believe that every person here without exception that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. How many of you believe that today? But how easy it is to miss that plan and purpose because all of a sudden we come to the discovery that we believe the will of God should always be led by our preferences and likes. Now I got to ask a question. How many people do we have here under the age of 25? Raise your hand high. I'm going to use a, a, a Texas term here and all the older people will know what I'm about to say. Bless your hearts. There's something, and it's no fault of their own. My my son, who is 17, sits up here, and I realized something the other day. That the course of his life is led every day by his likes and dislikes. That if he likes to do something, he's going to do it. If he doesn't like to do something, he's not going to do it. If he likes to eat something, he's going to eat it. If he doesn't like to eat something, he's not going to eat it. Now, I don't know about you, in my raising... Especially when, under the, when I was under the age of 10, when my mom wasn't working, my dad was working and my mom was staying home. When it was dinner time, how many of you know that you ate what was there because there wasn't any other second choices? There weren't any chips in the cabinet. <laughs> I mean, there wasn't anything else. So when you sat down to eat, you learned that you better like to eat what you're eating, like fried spam. I had some yesterday, by the way. I thought it was my heart racing last night just because of the game all night long, but I, it, was probably, it was probably the sodium from the fried Spam. But it was good. I'm going to let you know. A little mayonnaise and some cheese, and it was, whoo, making me hungry. And what we might say of our society, listen to this, we become spoiled. But you understand something. It's not just the viewpoint of church people. This is, this is the way of the world. Uh, it's our modern Western worldview. We live our life according to our likes and preferences. This is how we direct the course of our day. If I like this, I'm going to do this. If I like this movie, I'm going to go to this movie. If I like this church, I'm going to go to this church. If I, you understand, we live our life according to what we like and what we don't, don't like. And it really rails against a real biblical worldview. In fact, it's not a biblical worldview at all. Because now we're seeing through our lens that that's how God ought to work in our life. That if God wants me to do something, then surely he's going to call me to do something that I like. And that all comes into play. There's nothing that that illustrates it more than work. In fact, here's a modern misconception. We believe that work should always be something that we love. How many of you know that work is a four-letter word? How many of you know why work is a four-letter word? Because there are times that it's work and you don't like it. Somebody say amen. amen. But we have a workforce crisis in this country. Do you know why? Here's the reason why. Because people believe they can't find anything they like to do, so they would like to stay home and just play games all day. 
Somebody say amen. Uh, and if our government is smart enough, and I'm going to use that word to pay people to do that. Come on now. That's no political commentary, but I want you to understand something. We have a whole different idea of what work is. Because there was a time and a place where you had to work to survive. My mother-in-law's here, and, and my father-in-law had, had passed some 12, 13 years ago. Uh, and he grew up in an agricultural family where they moved oftentimes to where the work was. And as children in the household, he went to work at a very, very, very young age. There wasn't any other choice. Uh, that if the family wanted to eat, all the kids had to get out and work. It wasn't about child labor. Somebody say amen. It was about having food on the table. See, there are so many people that believe that work should be easy and something that they love. But here's something, and boy, this is a big thing. Because my father-in-law, his name was Troy, and he believed that whatever your hand finds to do, you ought to do with all your might. He was one of our best church family because there wasn't a time that he wasn't up here doing something. I mean, he didn't wait for people to clean. If, if something needed to be cleaned, you'd find him in here and he'd be picking things up and taking care of things because this is what he understood. Work's not about an occupation, but character. The job doesn't make me who I am. I make the job. The job doesn't make me who I am. I make the job. I heard a preacher do a whole sermon series one time. Uh, and it really epitomizes kind of our world. And the whole, the whole sermon series was if you don't love what you're doing, quit and find something you love to do. And it's only in America that we feel like we have those choices. Because we feel like that we're not fulfilled or having self-fulfillment if we're not doing something that we love. And it's a real deception. It is, listen to pastor, it's a deception. Because it's all about self-fulfillment. And you say, well, pastor, shouldn't work bring self-fulfillment? And the answer to that question is real simple. It depends on who you're trying to please. If you're always trying to please yourself, it'll be about self-fulfillment. But if you're trying to please someone else, including our Lord, it won't be about self-fulfillment. Somebody say amen. And so in the kingdom of God, it's all about pleasing Jesus. And so we're going to ask a question here, and we're going to answer the question. Should a disciple of Jesus Christ seek after self-fulfillment? And to answer that question, we're going, to have to we're going to have to define a particular word here. Because this word has been lost in translation. Let me explain it. Not through any fault of our own. Is that we've had 2,000 years of massive cultural changes and societal changes. And how we view things and how we hear things and how we see things. And how we want to translate the Bible to fit into our lives. And then we have a word that was taken from uh, Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic. And it was translated into Latin. And then it was translated into English. Uh, and we have this translation process coming into words. And sometimes some words don't translate real well. Just being honest with you. I mean, I've been around the world and preached with interpreters all kinds of places. Not crazy about it, honestly. 
Uh, and I'll go to Romania. It's one of those places I love to preach. And I'm in Romania preaching with an interpreter. And there's some English words that just don't translate into Romanian. And so the translator will say something and it'll be kind of a question like, huh? And so it's always fun because everybody in the audience will begin to tell him what the right word is. So we're, ha we're having a lesson in language as well as a lesson in the Bible every time we do this. And so there are words, and the word disciple is one of those words that come into play because everybody has an idea of what it looks like or what it should be. We get our word discipline from the word disciple, but it's not exactly that as, as well. So the question is, what is a disciple? Well, let's look at one scripture and find out how important it is to be a disciple. Jesus, in giving his great commission in Matthew 28, 18, says Jesus came right before he ascended into heaven and told his disciples. There's the key word. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, that's pretty cool right there. Because what he's saying is he's won the World Series. Somebody say amen. I've already won it all. I've been given all authority on heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This passage doesn't call for making believers or church members. It's a call for making disciples. So really, what is a disciple? Am I a disciple? Do I want to be a disciple? And what does this have to do with multiplication? We're going to answer all those questions this morning. But first, let's talk about what a disciple was in Jesus' day. You had teachers or rabbis. Traditionally, some were, some were Pharisees, some were Sadducees. Uh, but what happened in Jesus' day is you had young men mostly at that time because they chose from young men. And uh, unlike kids today, they memorized what was then the law to them the first five books of the Old Testament. So every young person, they wouldn't just recite it, they would memorize it. They would memorize all the first five books of the Old Testament. Jonathan's going to a school now where he has to memorize scripture and they're memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and um, he does okay with it. I'd like to get him up here and recite what he's learned so far. No, I don't think he's, he's kind of coughing like that's not gonna happen. But what would happen is rabbis would now take the best of the best. Those young men that had shown themselves to be above all the other young men and they knew the law and they, they had an interest and a passion for God's ways in the law. And so the rabbi would choose these. And we understand Jesus says this of us as he said to his disciples. He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And his word says, and I have appointed you to bear much fruit. Now, that's, that's the essence of what discipleship's all about. So, the rabbi chooses these disciples as Jesus chose his disciples. Interesting, he didn't choose the best of the best. Somebody say amen. He, he chose fishermen and tax collectors and common men of the day. But here's, what, here's, here's where everything changes. When you became the disciple of a rabbi, something changed. Because what happened when you became a disciple is it was no longer your opinion that was important. 
In fact, when you, when you were chosen to follow a rabbi, you laid aside all of your dreams, all of your ambitions, all of your plans, all of your opinions and ideas, and you submitted them all to the tutelage of this rabbi. Because discipleship was a life of complete, undeniable submission. And so what happened is you have these guys that have been chosen by Jesus now, and they understand what a disciple is. That it's not about their opinion, it's not about their idea, it's about following Jesus and his ways. Uh, and so you come into this, and what would happen is, as with our day, is they would take the word of God, and they would try to distinguish what some contemporary issues are. Like, in their day, the Sabbath was a big deal. What are you to do on the Sabbath? And what is work and what's not work? And so what would happen is the rabbi would make a ruling. If they were talking about the Sabbath, then they, 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 the question would arise, can you light a candle on the Sabbath? And so the, after much discussion and weighing the scripture, the rabbi would come and say, if you light more than five candles on the Sabbath, you're working. And so that's why when Jesus came, he said, you have a bunch of man-made laws. Because these rabbis would establish this as being law, and then the disciples would become rabbis, and they would establish something. And so what started is the first five books ended up being, wow, wow, thousands and thousands of edicts and pages uh, and, and different laws that had been added that burdened people. But that's not why Jesus came. That all of a sudden this rabbi was different because he didn't just talk a talk, he lived it. He was perfect. And come the Sabbath, he didn't talk about the Sabbath. He did good on the Sabbath. And he would say, my father's always at work. He doesn't take days off. How many are glad that God, God doesn't take days off? And so there's this whole understanding about what a disciple did that they literally, literally laid down their life. In order to be a disciple and follow a rabbi, you had to lay down your likes, your dislikes, your preferences, and now your life, your life was whatever the rabbi was doing. Whatever the, wherever the rabbi was going, that's where you were going. And there was only one way out of being a disciple, and that was complete denial or betrayal. You understand there was one of Jesus that was a betrayer and that was the only way that you could get out of being a disciple is that you literally had to come and say I'm not going to follow this guy anymore not only am I not going to follow him he's wrong and I'm willing to betray him and so that's what Judas did see being a disciple is not about our express independence but our faith expressed through submissive obedience so let me talk to you about your walk with God I was having a conversation with a couple of guys on Friday and it really got deep we begin talking about the levels of heaven. We even begin talking about hell and the levels of hell. Talking about Jesus descending, the word of God says, descending when he was crucified uh, and getting a victory over death, hell, and the grave. So that now, here's the good news, Thessalonians tells us to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. That we don't have to go to a holding place. Somebody say Amen. That's a whole different teaching, but we begin talking about, and this is the intriguing part for me, is that there'll be people literally that are in hell because they just don't want to submit to a Lord. 
They want to be independent. They want to do what they want to do. And you understand, they're, they're willing to not submit and live in absolute depravity and dysfunction forever than to submit to God and be in an eternal place of bliss. Because you understand, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. I, I hate to give you this revelation today, but God doesn't ask your opinion about anything. He's not saying he doesn't judge you according to the, your perspective, how you think things are. He judges us according to his truth. And when a rabbi spoke in, in that and you were committed to a rabbi, the rabbi's word was absolute truth. In other words, when he declared this and you were disciple, what he said was absolute truth. And so when Jesus said, now you're going to give them my teachings. Well, what are some of the teachings of Jesus? Matthew five twenty seven. he says this. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Here's what Jesus' commandment is. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, you say, Pastor, I'd rather not think about that. Jesus wasn't thinking about year 2022. He didn't know about iPads and technology and all the stuff that's happening. How in the world? No, it's the same thing. It's our heart. It's our heart. That when he speaks, that this is absolute truth. It doesn't matter what I think about it. It doesn't matter what the world is. That You know, understand, as my Lord, he's spoken a truth, and this is what he said. It's not about the action. It's about my heart, and it's about how I think about things. And if that's a problem, there's a problem. If my mind and heart is a problem, guess what? There's a problem, because you understand something. Eventually, what's in my heart is going to play out. That was the Old Testament. It was the problem. People look at David and they say, well, he was a man after God's own heart. But the problem is he didn't have the Holy Spirit to change his heart. Like we do today. Jesus died on the cross so that we now have the Holy Spirit that can lead us daily. That can bring us conviction daily. So we can walk victorious daily. And so it wasn't a surprise that one day David all of a sudden looks at a woman bathing and he says, I got to have the woman. And then he murders her husband. And you, you say, well, that's horrible. I can't believe that a man after God's own heart that would happen to you understand. It was in his heart. And what's in your heart always plays out. That's why it's important that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have an ongoing real relationship with Jesus Christ. Somebody say Amen. That he's talking to us all the time. And I, the other day I was talking and I was having this honest conversation with God because I, I'm studying for this, this sermon and I'm walking in to do my Bible study. I said, God, I, I really need to hear your voice. And this is what I said. But I know me. And I'm trying to hear your voice through my filter of what I like and dislike. And I know you're trying to speak to me truth. And I know me, and I know everybody here, this is what we do. When it's something we don't like, this is what we say. Well, that's not God. God wouldn't ask me to work in the nursery. But if you were sitting here today and you realize that we didn't have a nursery... And the word was coming forth and there were people who needed to hear the word and they couldn't because those children were just being kids. 
you'd say that's a viable ministry and people are hearing from God. They're getting saved. Their lives are being transformed all because there's a nursery ministry going on today. Is that important? Is that important? So when we come into context of a multiplied miracle that we've talked about for the last few weeks that Jesus took a few loaves and some fish and we're going to get into that. On a day when he's lost his cousin, John, he's been beheaded. And he tells his disciples, let's go get away. And his intention was they're going to get away. He's going to have some time to process this in prayer and literally grieve because, yes, Jesus grieved. And they arrive on the other side of the lake, and there's the huge crowds. By our estimation, with 5,000 men, there are ten to 15,000, maybe 20,000 people there. Uh, and they brought along all their livestock with them. No, if you've, ever, if you've ever traveled in the Far East, you understand something. You're going to take your livestock with you. Uh, because you don't trust them not at home, somebody not stealing them. And so you, you understand there, there's a whole procession of things going on here. And it says, Jesus looks upon them and he has compassion. Now, I want you to understand, him as, as I'm reading this, oh, especially over the last few weeks, I thought, I've got some big issues with this passage. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. As the man of God, pastor of this church for 29 years, I read this passage, I say, Whoo, I hope I could be a disciple. And then I realized, I may not understand what a disciple is. Because if you don't understand a disciple, you're not going to understand this passage. Because discipleship is about complete submission. Even when you don't feel like it. Discipleship sometimes looks and feels like a lot of work. Because that's what it is. Because you read this passage and they're getting away. And everybody knows this is the intention to get away. This is the expectation. We come to verse 15 of chapter 14 of the Gospel of Matthew. It says, that evening the disciples came to him after, listen, they have helped Jesus pray for sick all day long. You say, well, how did they help? If you're going to organize 20,000 people to be prayed for, how many know that's a lot of work? We're going to get a line over here. We're going to get a line here. We're going to let everybody come in front of Jesus. With that many people, it's all day long. They're hungry. They're tired. It comes to the end of the day. We all have expectations about how it should work out. We all understand we need a little me time. And so we know that we don't just come out and say something to God. We've got to talk in code language to God. Somebody say amen. Not like he doesn't know our heart. He doesn't know our mind. But we think if I can just kind of fool him in this and think that I'm okay, I'm not, I'm not unrighteous. And so that's what happens here. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting like send the crowds away so they can go for, to the villages and buy food for themselves. I'm going to give you the honest appraisal here. They didn't care that anybody got fed. Here's the code language. We're tired and we need some rest. Now, stay with me because this is our prayer life. Come on. Stay with me. This is our prayer life as disciples. God, I'm overwhelmed, and I just need a little rest. Amen. Amen. No, come on now. Everybody get it. 
Uh, you're on your last leg. I mean, you've gone as much as you can go, and your prayer is this. Listen, God, I've done as much as I can, and I just need a little rest. Jesus answers in verse 16. <laughs> I really think God has a sense of humor. No, I I'm being serious. I mean, we're talking in code language. He says, okay, we won't talk in code language. And he says this, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Is there something to hit my head on? And here's how we return that. Because we've got to come up with a good excuse to get out of this. And this is what these guys are doing. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. You know, Jesus had never done this before. They saw blind eyes open. They saw the deaf hear. You understand, he's never done this miracle before. Multiplied and feeding 20,000 people. And so this is what they think. We don't have enough. <laughs> it's going to be obvious. The obvious answer is right here. We've got a few loaves and some fish. We'll tell him. It'll be done. <laughs> Verse 18. <laughs> Whew. Bring them here, he said. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We've only got a few fish. Okay, bring them here, Jesus says. Then he told the people, sit down on the grass. And Jesus took the five loaves, the two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces. Look at this. I got this underlined circle in my Bible. He gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They've already worked all day. You say, where's the good news in that? Stay with me. I'm going to give you the good news in just a moment. Stay with me. Stay with me. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. At least they had some baskets. So the disciples were not only the wait staff, they were also the bus boys. Everybody get the picture here, okay? About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Now, when I read this story, I've got to be honest with you. My appetite always comes into play. I mean, it's got to be Long John Silver's and road, Roadhouse Rolls. I don't think Jesus was feeding sushi that day. That's just me. How many of you like sushi? My wife now likes sushi. God bless her. I, didn't, I told her I could take her to the bake shop later on and we could get her something to eat. So Jesus says, I'm going to feed them and... Can you imagine, stay with me, can you imagine feeding another fifteen to 20,000 people? Now, we take great pride in here in trying to be efficient and feed people quickly. Like we had a men's breakfast where a Navy SEAL came and spoke, and we had 100, how many guys did we have that day? Over 100 guys. And we fed those 100 guys breakfast, I mean, eggs and bacon and biscuits all in 10 minutes. I thought, man, that, that you way to go. That's the way to do it. I, I don't know that these disciples were that smart. Number one, they were trying to get out of something. Now Jesus says, you feed them. And all they know is they're going and with their, they, at least they have baskets. They're going with their baskets. And every time they go up there, the Lord fills them up. 
What I'm about to tell you is what everybody needs to understand. How many of you'd like to have a multiplied miracle? Raise your hand. Sometimes when you're in the midst of a multiplied miracle, it doesn't feel like a multiplied miracle. In fact, sometimes it feels a lot like work. It feels a lot like work. There weren't any goosebumps. There weren't any shundies. There wasn't any tongues and interpretation. Are you with me? There weren't any people falling out. Uh, There was just a bunch of guys sweating and coming, and Jesus said, well, keep going. And they come with an empty basket and come back, and he breaks it, and the Long John Silvers appears with all the little crispy, crunchy things with it. You can't have fish without tartar sauce. Come on now. Little packets of tartar sauce appear. I, I got a vivid imagination. But here's my problem with Jesus. You're Jesus. Why not let it fall out of the sky? We're tired. I'm tired. I'm wore out. I don't have anything left to give. You feed them. Oh. And this is where we miss it. When you're a disciple, you don't have a choice. I never understood it till I understood what a disciple is. See, when you're a disciple, it's not about your opinion. It's not about your preference. It's not about your like. It's not about your dislike. It's all about what the teacher's telling you to do. There wasn't any other choice in this story. But you understand something. We're a people that are led by our choices, our decisions, our opinions, our ideas, our likes, our dislikes. And so we think of God in multiple choices. I'm tired. Feed them. No, I don't think that's the what you... God wouldn't say that. God understands I'm already tired. I'm already wore out. Why would he ask me to feed somebody if I'm already tired and wore out? Because you need to understand the will of God is not about you. It's always about somebody else. And we always want to make it about us. And so you know what? We end up with a society of people that would rather sit home and play games than go out and get a job. Come on now. Because it's how we think. We're led by our likes and our dislikes and we say, well, this is God's will and we eliminate anything that doesn't fit into that. But his word is absolute. See, wrong expectations lead to big disappointments. And this is where we get in trouble. It's because we forget that he is the Lord, the master, the rabbi, the teacher, and he knows best. Somebody say amen. Amen. He knows best, and so when he tells us to do something, he knows what's best for our life, whether we think so or not. But what we do is this. We have an expectation. We say, God wants the best for my life. And so God would want me to rest. So we go into this with this expectation. 
And the next thing you know, we're disappointed. And if you're not careful, you become Judas because you have enough, enough disappointments that you're willing to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. You can come to church and still betray Jesus. Somebody say amen. And you understand something. It was, Abigail is 25, so nine years ago, she got her driver's license. And uh, the week that she got her driver's license, we had planned because it was our 20-year anniversary here at Life Community Church. And so what we had planned in 20 years had been a really rough few years. Shelly and I planned that we were going to go on a seven-day cruise. We were going to get away and rest because we needed some rest. The night before we were about to leave, we were packing all of our stuff up, and Abigail called, and she said, "Uh, I got in a wreck. Only had her license a couple of days. Well, immediately, we're in a panic. We think that she got hurt, and so we drive down there. She didn't get hurt. She just was behind some hedges, didn't see the guy pulled out in front of him, and he hit her. And so, being the parents that we are, some of you are the same way, she wasn't hurt, but this is what we knew, that if we left town for seven days, she was never ever going to drive. Because she was already freaked out, scared, and already told us as soon as we picked her up, as soon as we picked her up, she said her first word says, I'm never driving again. That's the first thing she said out of her mouth, I'm never driving again. And so I said, we don't have a choice. We're going to have to stay here. Because if we ever want her to drive, she's going to have to get back on the road immediately. I'll never forget. I had that conversation. Shelly said, you're right. So Shelly got her out, began driving with her. But I'm going to tell you, we had to cancel that cruise, and I'll be honest with you. It was one of the most disappointing things in my life. Because I was looking forward to the rest. But sometimes it's not just about rest for us. There was work that was necessary and needed in the formation for my daughter. It was a sacrifice. But can I tell you something? You're not going to have a multiplied miracle without a sacrifice. It's not going to happen. And so we laid it down, and Shelly and I both got to a place like, man, we really needed this. I can't believe. And, you know, and here's the, here's, the, here's the honest, sad part of the story. Yeah, I'm the pastor. I'm about to be honest, and some of you, gonna, you're not going to like it because I'm honest, but we're all this way. When it comes to disappointment, we blame God for it. How could you let that happen then? We could have already been on the cruise ship, and it could have happened. Come on now. I I don't get it. Why don't you just poof and drop the bread out of the sky? Here comes the holy cloud of Long John Silvers. (laughs) You know, and it says they ate as much as they wanted. I love that. I I, I mean, that is like my life scripture. Every time my wife says, 
you're going to eat some more. I say, have you not read that scripture where they ate as much as they wanted? (laughs) How do you handle disappointment? Do you pout? Let's be honest, this church, how many of you pout when 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 you're disappointed? Look, Georgette is the only honest person in this church back there. I would expect. No, there's some other people. How many of you develop a bad attitude? How many of you take your frustration out on others? But here's what a lot of people do when they get disappointed. Listen to pastor. They just quit. They quit. How many people do you know that don't come to church because they get disappointed? Isn't that the stupidest thing you've ever heard of? I mean, how many times have you gotten disappointed at work and you didn't quit your job? We're talking about eternity. Come on now. I mean, you go to your job and get disappointed. Well, I got to go back tomorrow and come to church. Somebody, somebody says something offensive to you. Say, I'm never going back again. Stupid. You say, Pastor said stupid. I did. Okay, um, I was about to make talk about, oh, no, I can't talk about Felix fans right now because it's too close to my heart. <laughs> See, you can't win the trophy if you're not on the team. And there's a big difference between a, van, a fan and a team member. We all celebrated last night. Jonathan was jumping up and down and waking all the neighbors. Literally. I mean, you understand something. I've got to explain something to you so y'all can all thank me after church. The Astros won because I had my lucky shirt on. (laughs) I don't laugh. It's not funny. I was laying in my bed on my left side, and I realized that it wasn't the same as it was the night before because the lamp on the bed was on, and so I turned that off, and... Alvarez hit the home run. (laughs) We're so stupid. (laughs) But it comes naturally. I mean, I'm an athlete, and I played with guys on basketball teams in, in college and in high school. When they were on a scoring streak, they wouldn't wash their underwear for weeks. You say, wow, yeah, it smelled like victory around there. (laughs) I know the distinct smell of victory. Boy, I tell you. And what you understand about a team is the coach doesn't always make agreeable decisions. There were guys celebrating on the field last night that never got on the field in any of the playoffs. There were the Jose Orquides, which is, he's a phenomenal pitcher. There was the Ryan Stanix that had the lowest ERA in history of the Astros for a reliever that only pitched one inning during the World Series. There were other players out there celebrating, the Michael Brantleys that were there during the year, the Jake Myers that had been there, and they were all on the field celebrating. And it's really what a picture of a team and following and being a disciple and following our Lord because it's not about us. 
It's not about my personal victory. Nobody wins if everybody doesn't win. And they all jumped around and had a wonderful time. And it was like nobody remembered that the coach didn't put them in. See, at the end of the day, I'm going to guarantee you this. The disciples didn't understand the magnitude of this miracle. Because it looked and felt a lot like work. And after it was all said and done, and they finally sat down, and they looked around, they looked over the sea of humanity, and everybody got fed. And they said, wow. God used us for one of the biggest things that's ever happened, and I'm so glad I got to be part of it. See, there's some keys to your multiplied miracle. Number one is you have to be a disciple. You have to lay aside your opinions, your ideas, your wants, your desires, your idea of your subjective truth and what you want to interpret the Bible to believe. You understand because there's only one truth. You have to lay all that aside. See, being a disciple is not about our expressed independence, but our faith expressed through submissive obedience. Because faith is often being obedient without understanding. Jesus didn't say, well, let me explain what's going to happen here, guys. Let me give you 30 minutes of instruction and tell you all he said is, bring it to me. Okay, everybody, everybody sit down in these groups over here. Okay, guys, come up and bring your baskets up here. You keep feeding till I say stop. And we're thinking, how, how's he going to do this? How's he going to? And every time he kept breaking it, man, th those roadhouse rolls were multiplying. Stupidest thing your waiter can ever ask you at roadhouse is, do you want more rolls? <laughs> and I say, if the basket's empty, you keep bringing just like the disciples keep bringing till the Bible says, and they ate till they were full. So number one, be a disciple. Number two, don't let, don't be led by your feelings. Our feelings are often very deceptive and selfish. Remember wrong expectations will always lead to big disappointments. It's hard to have a good attitude with while dealing with disappointment. Because we end up saying things like this. This is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Well, who told you it wasn't going to be hard? Who told you it wasn't going to be hard? When Abigail was born with the hemangioma, listen to me. She told, Pastor Shelley told you half the story. We prayed every day, but we worked through our attitude that says, I don't understand why we're working for God and this happens to our little girl. What kind of reward is that? It was getting past the attitude that the coach knew what he was doing the whole time. So we just kept praying every day. See, nobody ever told you. If they told you this thing's going to be easy, you understand something. You just have to be a disciple and follow the master.
because you understand this is what you don't understand. It's not the work. It's the work that makes you who you are. If your hand finds to do it, do it with all your might. Be the person of character that God's called you to be. That Jesus shows up more as a worker than a lazy person at your, at your workplace. Somebody say amen. There's nobody in your workplace when you show up and try to get out of something that say, well, that's a lot like Jesus. Thank you, Veronica. That helped me. Lord bless her with some long John Silvers. Lastly, be faithful and remember obedience feels like work because it is work. Work is often not fun or self-gratifying. Galatians 6, 9 says, so let's not, not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. It's pushing through not because you feel like it. It's pushing through when you really don't feel like it. But you understand something. It's pushing through. Faithfulness starts with little decisions. I'm going to read my word because you know what? The word of God says as a disciple, I need to know the commandments of Jesus. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be committed and faithful to God's house. I come from a heritage of faithful men. My grandfather worked at the same job almost 50 years and was married to my grandmother over 60 years. My father did the same. People make a big deal about me being here at Life Community Church for almost 30 years, but you understand something. I'm just following in my father's footsteps. And I want you to understand something about discipleship. Growing up in my, in my house, my little mama, she's losing weight and she's over in that home today. But growing up in my house, my, my parents never had a discussion on Sunday morning about how do we feel about going to church today. Can I tell you something? It never happened. It didn't matter if it was sunny outside. It was the most beautiful day on planet Earth. There was never a conversation where anybody ever said, well, let's not go to church today. Let's do something else. I'll never forget, I was in, in, in college and I'd come home with some friends and doing some things we shouldn't have been doing. And uh, was the real smart guy who brought my friends home to stay at my house and forgot my keys at four o'clock in the morning. Had to knock on the door and wake my mom up. Now, you understand this is not a self-righteous crowd, so you have to understand this. We were at a bar, so everybody knows how you smell like when you've been at a bar till four o'clock in the morning. And I knocked on the door. My mama answered the door. I thought, oh boy. And this is what she said. We're all going to church in the morning, be ready to go. It wasn't about what you've done or how you've done it. Because church is not a place for perfect people. Amen. 
get ready. We're going to go to church. You see, we got things messed up because it's all about our likes and preferences. So I hear parents say all the time, well, we're going to go to church where our kids want to go to church and where, where, their, where, their, where their friends are. Can I tell you something? You're not teaching your kids about faithfulness. You're teaching them they're going to follow their likes the rest of their life. Because I want my kids to be someplace where they're going to grow in God. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. They're going to have friends. That's natural. They're going to have friends. I, I want a student ministry pastor like Pastor Hill that's going to preach the word to them. I, I want a guy that's going to plan for them to go to a sum, summer camp that's going to change their life. That's what I want. So we're going to partake of communion. So if you didn't receive your communion cup, would you raise your hand? Our ushers are going to conserve you if you didn't receive one. My apologies this morning for going a little bit over. We got the opportunity to welcome in so many wonderful families. And that was worth that time. Pastor Shelley brought a great word this morning. Somebody say amen. amen. We, could have, we could have shut down and had, said we had church right then. Everything in the word of God that's written in this new covenant that we call the New Testament is written to and for disciples. Jesus broke bread on the night he was betrayed and he's in the midst of disciples didn't say he did this with the crowd it's real important it didn't say well he broke bread with the crowd it says he broke bread with his disciples because you understand something our submission to his authority and power is something that's it's imperative in the kingdom of God because what's going to happen is that we understand this, that Jesus came and he was the first and best. And he made a sacrifice for us. You understand. I want to go to heaven. But you understand something. If you're not prepared for heaven, heaven's going to be a shock. There's no voting. There's no opinions. There's one Lord. There's one King. And he's going to rule forever. And it's going to be great. But there are a lot of people that don't believe that. I believe that today. So the first question I'm going to ask you is, not if you're a believer, but if you're a disciple. Are you willing to be a person to lay down your personal opinions and likes and dislikes to say, I'll follow you no matter what. I'll follow you when I'm tired. And when you say feed them, I'll feed them. And I'll feed them till you say stop. Then I'll stop. Because it's not about me, it's about you. And he said this to his disciples, and I'm making this covenant with you. Well, anybody that's here understands a covenant's not a one-way thing. Yes, it's free. Salvation is free. Yes, it's true. You don't have to do anything today to merit forgiveness and salvation. Not a thing. But I'm going to tell you something. You will be responsible for what you do with it. Because it's his body and his blood. 
And today, it's a good reminder for us to understand we can't take this for granted. So let's bow our heads. Lord, we come this morning. There are many here that are tired and weary. They're overwhelmed. They're disappointed. And some, if truth be known, they, if they were honest, they would say they're disappointed even with you. But Lord, we come and we lay all that aside and we say, you know exactly what you're doing. You had a plan to live a perfect life and die on that cross and be raised to life so that we can have life today and forevermore. And so Lord, we lay aside our disappointments today and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we, we thought long and wrong and because we thought wrong, we have acted wrong. So change our mind to change our heart today. We want to follow you. And Jesus, we're thankful. Here we are 2,000 years later and we're so thankful for your body and your blood that was shed. And as we partake today, we partake as a reminder, not just of our salvation, but our discipleship to you. We love you. And it is a privilege to be called by you. It is a privilege to be called by you. For you chose each and every one of us. And we thank you for that today. Let's partake. Let's partake of the cup together as well. Stand with me. Thank you. Well, all this talk today of fish and bread, I think I'm going to go eat seafood for lunch. <laughs> the Papa's variety. Well, thank you for being here with us today. God's doing some incredible stuff here at Life Me Church. We want you to be a part of it. Amen. We'll have another welcome home class starting in January. Be sure and sign up for that if you're new here. If you're a guest, be sure and find, sign out the card. Be, 